0: Sal Berry.
1: I came here to talk hockey and drink root beer, and I'm all out of root beer. And Tim Parrish.
0: One day I might turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to sell cards. I doubt if that'll ever happen, but you never know.
1: This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to a long overdue episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and with me is Tim Parrish, and today... We're going to talk about the 2022 Stanley Cup Finals. We are also going to talk about the 2022 Hockey Hall of Fame inductees, and we'll probably get distracted and banter about other stuff and go off on multiple tangents. But from what I understand, most people like our tangents and all our different directions of stuff that we talk about. So, uh, Tim, how you been, man? It's been, been a long time.
0: Like you, but better just kidding
1: like me Um, but better
0: yeah that's how I am hey Um, all right no I mean
1: I want to be a uh, better sell too
0: I could really go for like a massage again I think I I think I said that a couple weeks ago but I need I need another one because I never got the first one so
1: that's
0: other than that I'm you know overworked underpaid you know typical
1: it's funny that like I always get busy as hockey season gets good as hockey season gets really good I get busy because right as like the playoffs were heating up and we were getting almost almost at the finals, but I think when we were in like the semifinals, it was the end of the spring quarter where I teach. And between the spring quarter and the summer quarter, there's one week off. It's finals week that like in between the quarters, and then there's no break. And then summer starts right away. So as I was doing grades for my spring classes, I also had to prep for my summer classes. And then the week that the summer classes started, I also had to finish final grades for my spring classes. So it'd be like the equivalent of like playing the last 10 minutes of the third period while also playing the first 10 minutes of your next game at the same time. So that's kind of like what early June was like for me. Oh, and then there was the Chicago Sports Spectacular, which happened Right before Father's Day. So it was the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And that was also happening at the same time I was teaching my first week of school and trying to get finals grades done. So I didn't even have until Friday to get things done. I had to get them done by Wednesday because I was going to be doing a card show. And, you know, you're not going to do a card show for like 11 hours and then come home and finish final grading. That's just never going to happen. In like a million years so yeah that was what was going on
0: with me but it happens to me all the time the business oh. that i'm in the industry that i'm in our busiest time of year is may june july so, yeah i mean it is what it is so
1: well july is like baseball season by that point but may and june is pretty much prime hockey
0: i should say just may and june by the middle of june we're usually back to normal so, gotcha just the fact that it's right during stanley cup finals is annoying.
1: So I did this show and it's the same show that's in Rosemont, which is a suburb of Chicago that they normally have in March and November. They also decided to do one in June because the National is not going to be in Chicago in July. It's going to be in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So the promoters of the Chicago Sports Spectacular said, well, hey, we want to have another card show in Chicago. Since there's not going to be the national here, which they don't promote the national. That's the the national. That's its own separate thing. So they thought, you know, there's probably a lot of Midwesterners who are not going to go to Atlantic City, but maybe they want to buy some sports cards in in the middle of June. So they did something, um, you know, right before Father's Day. I don't think that was the greatest time to do a show because they did it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because Sunday was Father's Day. So did they do just, that
0: last year? Or the year before, also like before COVID, they tried it.
1: Well, now they used to do a summer sports spectacular. They used to call it a summer sports spectacular, and they would do that in June because I remember going to it in like 2009 and 2010 and 2012. They would always do March and November, and then sometimes they would do June.
0: So I don't remember be, ever going to the summer ones. I would usually go to the March and November ones, but. Maybe I did. I don't know. I don't know I, I go to
1: the summer ones. If there was no national in Chicago, I'd go to the summer one cause I'd want to buy cards and yeah. I knew I wasn't going to go to Cleveland or Baltimore or whatever. You know, what's, what was funny about this show was that like the Thursday was slow. It was like a Friday at like one of these shows. Then the Friday was like a Saturday but then the Saturday was like a really bad Sunday. And let me just paint a picture for you. Thursday was something like one to eight thirty. So it was a long show. I mean, it was like, yeah, one to eight thirty.
0: And is weird because most people are in work for. Most well, of but that
1: they time. did they started it at like four or three thirty, but they did a VIP sneak peek at one o'clock. For the people who want to pay even more money so they could get in earlier, so they can get all the good cards before other people do, right?
0: The slabs will be gone if they wait too long.
1: I know, man. There's only enough slabs to go around. That's right. So what are we going to do when we run out of slabs? We're out of
0: slabs! We'll just have another grading company (laughs) will pop up, I'm sure.
1: The, the Friday was something like 10 to 8. It was long. It was a long day. It was like 10 to 8. Because they started it in the morning like it was a Saturday. But then they also ran it like it was a Friday night. And they made it go to 8. So it was like, it was 10 to 8. I'm not exaggerating. It was literally that long. It was like 10 or 11 hours. I was just like, you know, because I get there early. Because I got to, you know, I'm a dealer. So you want to get there before the people do. The Saturday then was... An hour earlier, it was like nine, but it went all the way to six. So, I mean, nine to five would be eight hours. This was a nine-hour show on a Saturday. And let me tell you, by 12.30, it was pretty much dead. So, like, really? from nine to 12.30, it's it, it slowed down. Okay, you know when you go to a convention and you know it's a busy convention because you hear the hubbub of people, you know, just that crowd noise, right, when you go to a show? Yeah. But you know when the when the tide turns – And then it starts to be the dealers talking to each other becomes louder and then packing up their things gets louder. And then the sound of them like slamming something into a cart thud, you know, as they drop their cases or whatever and load them on a cart to pull off. So then like from like two thirty to six, it just sounded like that the whole time. Wow. Yeah, like that last hour of a slow show, it would pack up. It sounded like that for like almost four hours, yet there were still people who were there. So I didn't want to pack up. It wasn't like I was like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here early or I might make another sale before we we close up, you know. But uh, what did I do? I went and I talked to some dealers that I was friends with and. uh Kept an eye on my table, and if it looked busy, I just kind of ran back there. But I had a, I had a friend with me, so it 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 worked out. But
0: yeah, I chalk it of- up because it's close enough to the national. Maybe a lot of the normal people are going to that or something. I don't know. Those shows are usually fairly well attended for the weekends, but it's that weird thing. It is you got the national coming up, you got it's Father's Day weekend, you have the thing going. Starting on a Thursday, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think there was a lot of things at play that just make that a weird show.
1: It should have been the next weekend on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Really, shows should be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. When you start them on a Thursday to Saturday, where I remember, like, the same promoters. I didn't do this show, but they did a show over Labor Day weekend. But they did it Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And it was not well attended. And the problem with the Saturday show was that setup was on Saturday. And Saturday, the show opened at, like, 9. So you'd have to get there, like, super early. And for, you know what, for, like, a one-day show in, like, a hotel ballroom, you bring your things, you throw them on the table, you do your show. It's a one-day show. For a three-day show, I mean, people bring fixtures, people bring shelves, people bring their own tables, people bring tons of display cases and lots of cards, you know what I mean? This isn't just, like a one-day show. This is a three-day show. When I set up at the National, it took us between unloading the car and setting up. I mean, I think the show started at 3.30 and I think we got there at like 10.30, 30, five hours. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it wasn't that much time, but you, you need that time because you're like unloading. You're not just take, bringing in a box of cards with you. You're unloading like extra tables and heavy display cases and signs and stuff like that. So it's, it's, you almost need to have like the show start at like three or four so that people can get there like at like 10 or 11 and have like five hours to set up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first tangent
1: that I went off on.
0: That's not it. I mean, it's not a tangent. I'm always interested from that standpoint, how things go. That's why I ask you all the time, like how things are going. because I want to know. Yeah, you know, well, being I mean on one side of the table as a buyer, you know, yeah, you know what goes on as far as a dealer trying to sell and everything else. But here's somebody on the other side of the table with similar interests. Not like I'm walking up to the table, it's a dealer, and he has everything covered under plastic, so he can't touch it. Obviously, we don't have the same interests, other than right. the fact that he sells hockey cards. Right. But I know you. We have similar interests when it comes to the hobby. And so I like to see, hey, how did things go? Because you never know. One day I might turn around and say, you know what? I'm going to sell cards. I doubt if that'll ever happen, but you never know.
1: Yeah, well, then I'd have to put you out of business. No, I'm kidding.
0: I'm sure you could. It won't No, no,
1: much. no, no. You can't. That's the thing, though. That's the wonderful thing about sports cards is that everybody comes at it from a slightly different angle. Until
0: you come over to my table and you're like, you know what? I need a few of these. I'll buy your whole table for a hundred bucks. And I'll be like, deal. That's double what I thought I'd get.
1: Yeah, no. Actually, you want to know what one of my big sellers was at the show that I did a couple weeks back?
0: Is this a guessing game, or are you just going to tell me?
1: I'll tell. You. My biggest seller was hockey cards, so that's no surprise, because I kind of had the market cornered on hockey cards there. I mean, there were <laughs> I was, other dealers. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, uh, that's pretty much a given that it was going to be hockey cards. Well, but
1: the thing is, is that people who like baseball cards are not going to buy from my table. But the big surprise <laughs> was I had some Nintendo trading cards from 1989 like some trading cards and stickers. And I sold quite a few of those. And that was surprising to me because I guess what you think that maybe you're not interested in it, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't interested in it. Lots of
0: dealers have tons of stuff, but they don't bring it because they don't think it'll sell or they don't, you know, they're thinking a certain angle. I mean, how many times you go to Chicago shows and it's like, hey, do you have any hockey cards? Oh, I just have this box of Blackhawks cards. Well, I don't give a crap about any of that. I don't want the Blackhawks cards. Sure, eight out of ten people might be looking for them. I'm not one of them, so I just move along. But, you know, the other dealer, like Sal Berry, for instance, he's got everything at that table. So even though I've seen it probably all a thousand times, I'll sit there and look at it for a couple hours.
1: Well, I don't have everything. I don't have any PSA 10 Ovechkins. What? Where do yeah, all those I go? know. I, I you don't know. I just you got rid of any. all 63 of them that you had? Yeah, 63. I sold a few Ed Belfour rookie cards, and I sold a few Dustin Bufflin rookie cards because both of them were signing at the show.
0: So people would Hawks. come up to me and, huh? I said Hawks. See, you proved Hawks, my point. Hawks,
1: yes. Yeah, so I guess, I guess no surprise there. But another big seller for me, believe it or not, were Tampa Bay Lightning and Colorado Avalanche cards because this coincided right around game one of the Stanley Cup finals. So people wanted Vasilevsky. People wanted... Kale McCard, no surprise there. People wanted Nikita Kucherov, and they wanted Nathan McKinnon, and not so much Rantanen or Landeskog. I have a nice Stamkos card. It's like a dual jersey card with Stamkos and Hedman, but, like, nobody wanted it. Mm. And I'm like, all right, you know, not, not everything is for everybody. I mean, it's it's surprising. Like, I'll have a card at, like, five shows in a row, and then at the sixth show it'll sell. I'll, like, literally have a card for, like, a day. I bought a small set of cards from somebody on Friday, and I, like, took it home, priced it, and then put it back in my case on Saturday, and it sold, like, within an hour. So it's just hit or miss, you know what I mean, where you go, oh, this will totally sell, and it does. you go, oh, this will totally sell, and, like, nobody wants it. One thing that surprised me, so the Blackhawks play-by-play announcer, Pat Foley, was doing, like, his first autograph signing since he retired as the play-by-play voice of the Blackhawks. I had some of his hockey cards. He had a card in the 6 07 Chicago Wolves team set. Ironically, when the Blackhawks fired him in 06, he went to the Wolves. They gave him a hockey card. They you know, they made sure to include him in the set. And so I only sold one of those. I don't want to say it's a needle in a haystack, but where else are you going to find that? You know what I mean? I guess at my table.
0: Yes, where else? exactly. I mean, just, that's the only place you're going to find It's just
1: funny like how... That. And it's funny because i thought that i'd sell out of them and i sold exactly one so go figure but you know that's just kind of the fun part though is like the pleasant surprises and then like when you sell nintendo trading cards and you go okay cool man score one for non-sports cards yay right
0: i don't think i have any nintendo cards
1: that's okay that's a totally different podcast so stanley Cup. what'd you think were you surprised by the outcome i don't think we were surprised i think We were maybe a little surprised, but maybe not surprised. I don't know.
0: I mean, from a surprise standpoint, I mean, I had it boiled down to it was either going to be Colorado or Tampa winning. So I wasn't that surprised. So from that standpoint, I had a 50-50 shot.
1: You made that prediction at the start of the season?
0: Uh, No, I wasn't one of those people. Um, Start of the season. Who did I have in the West? Uh, Did we do the picks on the show? I don't remember.
1: I don't think we did.
0: No, we I didn't. I hate
1: those things anyways. We yeah. did We did round one and round two, and I like, I'm like. i terrible
0: at those. I think I took Tampa from the east and as far as from the west. God, I can't even remember. I think I might have picked Vegas for the west. Yeah, I think I picked Vegas for the west, if I'm not mistaken. So I was way off when it came to that. Yeah,
1: that sounds about right.
0: I'm really not surprised because that, that whole thing could have gone either way, and the fact that that Colorado jumped out to the lead that they jumped out to. And Tampa, more or less, at least in the first game, they looked completely flat. You can chalk that up to a lot of things, you know, playoff fatigue. It's a real thing. When you play that much hockey over that time frame, that's a lot of hockey. Now, I'm not saying they were worn out and tired, but yeah, you get worn out and tired. And watching the last couple games, just watching how relentless Colorado was, just going after the puck and going after the Tampa players when they had the puck, it was just so fast. And I've always thought Tampa was a fast team. Man, Colorado was just, that was another level. Here's what would have
1: surprised us. If the Lightning lost in four straight, if Colorado swept the series I think we would have been surprised by that
0: yeah you know they swept two of their series but sweeping in the finals that's a whole other thing I mean you're talking the two best teams and if there was that much of a lopsided thing I mean who do they think they are the Penguins versus the Blackhawks oh sorry right too too soon or the
1: Penguins versus the Panthers or the Red Wings versus the Capitals
0: yeah yeah I mean in today's day and age it's hard that one go
1: are you
0: I'm never gonna let that go Yeah, I mean, today's day and age with as much parity as there is from team to team and, you know, as much work as it takes to get there, to wipe somebody out in four straight games, I mean, you've got to be a pretty special team to be able to do that. And I didn't think either of these teams had the ability to wipe either one off the map, but, man, Colorado made it sure look like they were going to make easy pickings of the champs, at least at first.
1: So game one, the Avalanche won four to three in overtime. Game two, the Avalanche won seven. Game three, the Lightning came back and won six to two. Game four, the Avalanche won three to two in overtime. Game five, the Lightning won three to two. Game six, the Avalanche won two to one. The Avalanche scored twenty goals, and I think the Lightning scored fifteen goals. If my math is correct. But I mean, of course, when you score seven goals in a game and I think that game really I don't think I'm wise by saying this because I think this is kind of like obvious, but that was the series right there. That was the end of the series. I mean, even though it was only game two, they never really recovered from a seven to nothing loss. I mean, yeah, they came back and they won six to two, which is impressive. I mean, to me, that's a lopsided loss, but Or lopsided win, however you want to look at it. If you win six to two, or if you lose six to two, that's a big deal either way. But I don't feel like it was a statement game. It was just the Lightning having a good game in game two. They just they fell behind and they just couldn't they couldn't come back. It just got worse and worse for them. So you know, and they really needed to win those next two home games, and they didn't. And you know, sure they stole game five. You're going to have teams steal a road game here and there. I mean, it's just. Is there such thing as home ice advantage? Yeah, there is. Do teams like home ice advantage? Of course they do. But all series are not going to be one in seven games with you winning only your home games and you having home ice advantage throughout all four rounds of the playoffs. Can it happen? Sure, technically it can happen. But you got to be a better team than that. You can't just depend on having more home games than the other team. It's it's a perk. It shouldn't be a necessity.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't expect that obviously like you mm-hmm. said can it happen statistically sure but that's not going to occur very often because you'd have to run every single series to seven games that's crazy again talk about a lot of hockey well and you're gonna wear yourself out. out yeah exactly mm-hmm. exactly
1: i know you said that how relentless the avalanches attack was but i mean okay so obviously kale mccarr who was the playoff mvp was the best player in the playoffs for the avalanche and he was also the best player in the finals he just didn't happen to lead the team in scoring he was also a force in the playoffs and a force in that final series but i look at the avalanches defensemen and like five or six of those defensemen Well, obviously, McCarr is the number one defenseman or a number one. He'd be a number one player on most teams that he plays for. But you look at somebody like McCarr and go, "Okay, he's a superstar. But then you look at pretty much all of the other defensemen on that roster are top four. I mean, there's, you know, they got black aces and stuff that obviously are. But think about what a great season Devin Taves has had. And then also like Jack Johnson. Poor Jack Johnson.
0: Jack Johnson is a Stanley Cup champion.
1: Yes, well, I feel happy for him. I hope his parents don't find his ring and pawn it off because that would just be his luck, right?
0: Yeah, no kidding. I wonder if he talks to them anymore.
1: So let me just read some of this defense. the defensemen here on the roster. You got Jack Johnson. You got Bowen Byram. You got Eric Johnson, Samuel Gerard, Devin Taves, Kale McCarr. Did I say Josh Manson?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Okay, so all of those guys are good to great defensemen. To me, I mean, you know, they are like, Darcy Kempfer is the big question. Is he going to be good enough for the Colorado Avalanche? Yeah, he came up good when he needed to be good. I don't think he necessarily stole them any games. I think he had such great defensemen in front of him all the time, and the scoring did the rest, you know what I mean? Between- Well,
0: and that's the thing going into it. You obviously knew who the better goaltender was. Right. But because of the offensive power and the ability to hang with pretty much any team in the league, you have Vasilevsky who's gotta play Vasilevsky type goaltending. He's gotta be the best. Whereas you have Darcy Kemper, right, who just has to play well enough to not let in a bunch of softies. Yeah. So I mean, I think that that was a huge difference there. But now you can't say that Darcy Kemper's never won anything. Because he now has a cup too, so I mean, regardless of what you think about the guy, I mean, he kept his team, kept his team in it. You know, he did enough.
1: I, I don't think he's a bad goaltender. He's he's an NHL number one goaltender, but sure. I mean, if you were gonna pick the top ten goalies, I don't think he'd be, you know, the top ten no, in I the league.
0: Think so either. You go back to the defenseman though, Kale McCarr. Okay, so we have the Norris Trophy winner. We have the guy that since he came into the league, they've talked about him being the next Bobby Orr, and he plays Mm -hmm. like it. He absolutely plays like it. You have, you know, Devin Tays, who I mean, let's face it, you pair him up with the best defenseman in the league, of course he's going to play above his pay grade. I mean, he has to. You know, Eric Johnson's been around forever. The fact that he's now got a cup, is good. But, I mean, he's been on the avalanche for, what, 12 seasons? 14 seasons? Oh, He's been there a while. I think
1: like 14 seasons.
0: Yeah, he's been there a while. So, I mean, he's a stalwart defenseman. Bowen Byram hasn't panned out as well as I thought he was going to, but he's not horrible. These defensive pairings of of the guys going down the line, they may not all be household names, but they're – more or less all solid players. Yes. I think Josh Manson's underrated myself. I don't think he gets enough I agree.
1: Well, I think part of that was he was on the Ducks and they were not a great team, so.
0: Yeah. No, I was going to say, and Jack Johnson, you know, he gets to be the butt of a lot of jokes, but at the same time, you don't last as long as he has in this league being the butt of a joke.
1: Well, Jack so. Johnson is a good enough defenseman that teams want him on their team. He's 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 not that like elite superstar. He's not untradable. He's expendable, but he is valuable. You know, I think about like like I'll give you like another example. Well, this is apples and oranges, and this is different eras, and this these are different positions. But think of like Brendan Shanahan. How much he moved around the league, but he moved around the league because teams wanted him on their team. He was a great, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame, so maybe that's not the best example. I remember when he made it in the Hall of Fame, I was just like, wow, you know, he's like, is he the first journeyman to be in the Hall of Fame? And I know that he wasn't really a journeyman, but he played on a lot of teams. You know he wasn't one of these guys like a steve Iserman who played 22 seasons for the same team or like a ray bork who played most of his career and then you know a few years at the end with a different team like a lot of superstar players do you know they play most of it for one team and then a few years for another team as they're winding down you know see martin brodeur what point was i trying to make that jack johnson Adds value to whatever team he's on, but he's expendable enough that if a team has a deficiency in another area, he becomes the player that can be moved, or maybe not resigned or whatever.
0: He serves a purpose, and if he's being used outside of that purpose, he's expendable.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, As, and I haven't dissected it, his whole uh, career. And
0: I was going to say, see his time with Pittsburgh. I mean, that's a perfect example. Go on. No, I mean, it's just a example of how, you know, how he wasn't. I don't think they used him when he was on the team in the position that they could have used him in. Right. They wanted him to be this, I don't know what the right word is for it, but they wanted him to be this, this goal-scoring guru. Right. As a defenseman, a la what essentially chris Latang is i guess would be the or best probably. best way to describe right, it or, gotcha. or what or what sergey gonchar was right but i don't think they used him right and i think he just got thrown into the the whole yeah we can dump this guy and eliminate the cap hit and you know because he's just not he's not playing to what he needs to be so right
1: well i mean when players talk about getting to play their game, right? Versus being made to play a game that doesn't fit their style or suit their style, right? And so he got to do his thing in Colorado. He's a champ because of it. In fact, when I did my uh, No Stanley for Old Men 2022 edition, he was the oldest member of the Colorado Avalanche to not have won a Stanley Cup. So now he has a Stanley Cup, so he doesn't qualify for that anymore. This is Sal interrupting this podcast with a quick note. So it seems like while Tim and I were recording our show, my neighbor across the alley from me was practicing with his marching band. So you're going to hear music every time I talk, and there was nothing I could do about that. So anyway, back to the podcast. Yeah, JJ's got a cup. He and has got a cup, and, and Landeskog, and, and Nathan McKinnon. And, you know, it's good to see these guys have their day in the sun. Like, I will admit, I did want to see the Lightning 3 peak because I think that's a cool story. But at the same time, I do realize that that's hella boring, right? Like, when you look and go, oh, Montreal won four Stanley Cups in the 70s in a row. Okay, that's kind of boring. And the Islanders won four in the early 80s. And you go, okay, well, that's kind of cool, but that's also kind of boring. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like... Wasn't there another team good enough to beat them? You know what I mean? And then it had to be the Oilers who then won, you know, five out of seven, you know, one, four out of five and five out of seven. So it's just, it's like, it's like, you'd, you'd always have to have like this behemoth team that would just like win a bunch of cups and then another behemoth team would have to come and knock them off. And then they'd become the behemoth team that everybody else had to beat, not even just the big team to beat the behemoth. Now it's kind of like, because like you said, parody, things are a little more even and, It's okay to have a different Stanley Cup winner every year. It is fun to see back-to-back championships. I'm not going to lie. wanted to see the Blackhawks do that. I still lose sleep over that goal in 2014 that the Kings scored in overtime to win Game 7 to go to the Stanley Cup championship, and then they won the 2014 Stanley Cup. That should have been the Blackhawks' cup. Hawks should have won 13, 14, 15, but they didn't, you know what I mean? Well, the Kings were a good team too. I mean, they won two cups in four years or three years or whatever, but the point is, is I could see why you want to see your own team win forever, but I also think it's cool to see other teams win like two in a row or whatever, but then I also acknowledge that that's also kind of boring. You know, if Pittsburgh won, Five cups in a row. You'd be happy and the rest of us would be tired of it by now. We'd be like, come on. Isn't there another team that's good enough? You know what I mean? they've,
0: They've won two in a row twice and people are sick of them.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's kind of funny because the Penguins winning two in a row in the 90s was almost looking like it was going to be extension of the behemoth teams, as I'm calling it. Montreal won four in the late 70s. The Islanders won four in the early 80s. The Oilers won five out of seven and then it looked like the penguins were going to win like three or four in a row and that was surprising that they didn't it kind of looked like it was going to go that way but then i think the devils really i mean i know the devils didn't win the next year but then the devils kind of reinvented hockey and we talked about that in another episode but
0: if it wasn't for uh, david volick
1: was it volick who scored that goal
0: it was volick in for the islanders that knocked the penguins out yeah that third year so yeah
1: yeah i remember
0: Yeah, I mean, juggernaut teams that have superstars on them.
1: But I remember what was funny was that when the Blackhawks made the playoffs that year, and they finished pretty strong, and they got swept by the Blues. But I remember in game one, they were talking about the Penguins. They said, what are the Hawks going to do when they have to face the Penguins again in the finals, right? Like, it it was like a foregone conclusion that the Blackhawks were just going to get another shot at the finals in 93. And then, I remember a week later, they're like, forget about the Penguins. What are the Blackhawks going to do about the Blues? You know, like, they can't even get out of this damn first round. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well.
0: Well, we'll have to wait and see. Tampa will have another shot at it next year to reclaim that quote-unquote dynasty
1: Mm -hmm. title.
0: I mean, you know, let's say they do come back and turn around and win it again next year. Well, three out of four is pretty good, too
1: yeah well if that happens and we'll see what happens you want to talk hall of fame
0: sure am i being elected to the hall of fame
1: you are being elected to the puck junk bad hockey card hall of fame
0: oh well i don't have a hockey card so i'll make you one. Oh boy i can't wait I can only imagine what that's going to look like
1: i'm going to find that picture of you from your youth in the hockey gear that you posted on your blog the real dfg and oh, yeah. uh yeah that'll be your that- card
0: I forgot that's floating around out there somewhere. Yeah.
1: I think I'll go with the 75 76 tops design. That was pretty horrible.
0: Yeah. You blow that picture up, it's going to be super grainy. You won't even be able to tell it's me.
1: Yeah, it'll fit on a 75 76 tops card then. But no, the Hockey Hall of Fame announced its new inductees for 2022.
0: They sure did.
1: Rika Salinen from Finland. She obviously has a lot of uh, international accolades. She's won bronze medals, silver medals, and gold medals uh, between the Olympic Games, the World Championships, and the European Championships. Actually, in the Olympic Games, it's been bronze medals because usually it's USA and Canada who court all the gold and silver medals in women's Olympic hockey. In the World Championship, same thing. One silver medal, a ton of bronze medals, again, because USA and Canada having such dominant women's hockey teams. But in European championships, she has three gold medals. She also played a long time in their professional women's league. That was the one player I had to actually Google and look up because I know the North American women players who are good. So when they get into the Hall of Fame, you go, oh yeah, yeah, Cami Granado. Of course I know Cami Granado. Or you go, oh yeah, you know, uh, Haley Wickenheiser, of course. You know what I mean? Like you you know these names because you're familiar with them because you see them all the time. But then when somebody from Finland comes along, you're just like, oh, okay. And then you look at her career and you go, wow, damn, she's she's really good. And that's kind of a, a surprising pick. But then the next four names, all people that will recognize Roberto Luongo, Daniel Alfredson, Daniel Sedin. And Hendrik Sedin and then finally in the builder category Herb Carnegie which I was pleasantly surprised by his induction like when I saw his name and I said oh Herb Carnegie that's awesome it's unfortunate that he passed away 10 years ago but it's still awesome that he's being honored he was basically the Willie O'Ree before Willie O'Ree and he was a trailblazer he played senior a hockey He was good enough to play in the NHL, but nobody would let him play in the NHL because he was black. But then he also did a lot of work after that. He started something called the Future Aces, which was like a youth hockey program. So, yeah, so those are the inductees this year. And like I said, other than uh, Salinin, whom I was not familiar with her resume of work, the rest of these names, I was just like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. I like Luongo. That one probably made me scratch my head and think a little bit, but four hundred and eighty-nine wins is really good.
0: Yeah, Luongo was pretty much the only one of that whole group I was was not surprised at. Really? Absolutely. Why? I mean, he he was the closest one on that list to like a certain yeah, he's in on a first ballot. Okay. Like like the Sadines would have been first ballot last year, but there wasn't in a class last year. This is true. So since they didn't induct 21, they just brought in, they inducted the 20s in 21, so there wasn't a 21 class. Yes. So their eligibility got pushed. Not that I don't think the Sadines deserve a first ballot, but Luongo was the only one, at least from a male category of entrant, that I thought, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Because here's the thing. Look at Luongo's stats. When he retired, he was third all-time. yes. Now he's fourth because Fleury passed him. If anybody doesn't think Fleury is going to be in the Hall of Fame, you don't know anything about hockey. So you got Martin Brodeur, Patrick Waugh, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Luongo. Those are it. Those are your four top goaltenders. So the fact that he's eligible, yet he's not Mm -hmm. there, to me that's a no-brainer. The other thing that kills me, though, is goalies. Goalies get underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. And I understand... We're trying to keep this as the Hall of Fame, meaning the best of the best of the best and not the Hall of OK or the Hall of Somewhat Good, like some of the other professional sports Hall of Fames are becoming. A couple of things that people have to understand. This is not the NHL Hall of Fame. This is the Hockey Hall of Fame. So a lot of things are taken into consideration here. So you have to look at other stuff like Yes, the overall record in the professional leagues they played in, but you do have to look at the international. This play. is true. You have yeah. to look at their whole entire body of work going up through you know everything they've done. And you know, historically goalies get underrepresented in these Hall of Fame classes, you know. There've been what, seven goalies picked in the last 30 years. They're very very underrepresented. So I think you can go out on a limb and say that they only take goalies if you are the absolute top of the list. And of all guys that were available, not that there aren't still guys worthy, because there are, but of all guys that were eligible at this point, from a statistics standpoint, Luongo was above and beyond anybody else. Yeah, you can make a case for Cujo. You can make a case for getting Nabokov, You can make a case for Tom Barasso, Chris Osgood. You know, those guys, yeah. If it gets down to it and you're looking at another goalie to bring in, in a year or two, those would be the next four I'd probably look at, as long as Flurry doesn't retire. Right. It's weird because, you know, they're always so secret about who they pick. They never tell you who's on the ballot. They never tell you any of this stuff. All of the voters are sworn to secrecy. Nothing's made public. The only things we really know about it, we know there's 18 people on the board, and they can pick four males, two females, and two builders, or referees or whatever. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's really all we know about the whole selection process. That and Lanny McDonald calls them and says, "Yeah, you're in the hall."
1: Mm-hmm. And, Mike,
0: and Mike Gartner this year, I guess. So other than that, we don't know what the heck's going on. to look back on this and see, okay, if you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and like you look at their website and you look at what their lists are of the people that are eligible and not eligible,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or I just shouldn't say not eligible, but the more eligible, quote unquote, more eligible than others type thing. I mean, you've got almost everybody on the list has got to have either 300 goals, 400 assists, 700 total points in a thousand games. That's skaters, except for defensemen, the 500 points is usually where they go with. But for goalies, it's like 500 games played, 250 wins and like 50 shutouts is generally what will get you
1: pushed Mm -hmm. over
0: that edge. You really don't get a whole lot of that in goaltending. And those guys I named already, they're pretty much the only ones that check off all those boxes. Right. So because Luongo was the highest out of all of that, to me, again, that was the no-brainer pick. What were those names again? You said you mentioned a few other goalies. Of guys that I think will probably get in. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Joseph. Yep. Kujo so is one. Uh, Genni Nabokov is one. Chris Osgood is one. Uh, a lot of people throw Barrasso's name around in that as being, uh, you know, somebody that they can take in. Although mm-hmm. Barrasso, when you look at Barrasso, he's got the games and he's got the wins. He doesn't have the shutouts, but still, he's like 38. That's not too bad. And he's got two cups. So
1: And he's got more assists than any other goalie.
0: Well, there's that part, too.
1: He's got more assists than Martin Brodeur. And, you know, what a great puck handler Martin Brodeur was. But, sure. to be fair, all you had to do was we'll stop the puck and get it to Mario Lemieux, and that was pretty much an assist.
0: Well, and then a lot of people are still making a case for John Van Beesbrook and Mike Vernon and Mike Richter. You know, Felix the Cat still not in. You know, so there there are a lot of guys that are deserving, but those four that I named from those arbitrary, unofficial statistics that I threw out there. Those guys check those boxes.
1: I agree about Curtis Joseph hundred percent. In fact, I'm surprised that he's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I've just because he's got over four hundred wins, there are goalies that are lower than him in wins that are in the Hall of Fame. Sure. Barrasso, hmm, I'm not really sure about him. Barrasso, Osgood, Vernon, Potvin, I'd say they were all very good goalies. I think a little bit of it is like they were like on the right team at the right time. I mean, would the penguins still have won the Stanley Cup in ninety-two if they had Mike Vernon instead of Tom Barrasso?
0: Considering he won a cup. The well, they year both before won that. cups.
1: Okay, let me ask you this: if they had Patrick Watt instead of Tom Barrasso, do you think the Penguins could have won three cups in a row?
0: I mean, that David Volaggull probably wouldn't have won in.
1: Right. So what I'm saying is that like Martin Broeger would have been a Hall of Fame goalie probably on any team. The fact that he was on a team that just pretty much turtled and played such a defensive style just worked to his advantage and and probably inflated his stats a little bit. If he went on any other team, he still would have probably been a great goalie and probably would have gone in the Hall of Fame, but he maybe would have had 550 wins instead of whatever he ended up with, 600 and whatever or whatever. I'm even on the fence about Mike Richter. Because, like, I'm surprised that he's not in the Hall of Fame. But then at the same time, I go, well, you know, and like, OK, so at first when when I said I was surprised by Luongo, I was just thinking, OK, he won a Jennings trophy in 1011, But then I think about it. He was the goalie for that 2010 Olympic team. He was also on the 2014 Olympic team, won gold both those times. But that 2010 Olympics, I mean... Uh, that was a hell of an Olympic tournament, and he was a hell of a great goalie in that series. I mean, looking at his international accolades and his NHL career, and also I just remembered this now he was a team captain, and goalies aren't supposed to be team captains. But the Canucks were like, Yeah, we're making him team captain. Whatever, we don't care what the rules say, he's our captain. And that was it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like the NHL didn't argue with it. that. That's one of the few times I could think of where like an NHL team just overtly broke the rules and said, yeah, we know what the rules are, but we're going to do this anyway. And the league didn't make like a big deal about it because they didn't insist on like putting a C on his sweater and stuff like that. But like they just said, he's our team captain, you know, and, and he's going to address the media and he's going to be like the face of our franchise, which I thought was a Great thing for the Canucks to do, and that was that was a baller move back in the day.
0: <laughs> and let's be honest, all the years he played for Florida, he was basically the best player on Florida.
1: <laughs> but see, that's the thing, though, I think about like his time with Florida, and I think about his other time with Florida, and I think about like his time with the Islanders, and it's just it's like no, that wasn't I, very long. well, no, but I guess the thing is is that like he was awesome with the Canucks, he was awesome internationally. And yeah, he did have a lot of, he did have a lot of wins. So yeah, he does deserve to be in the hall. Yep. Are we going to argue about the Sedin twins though? Or can we just say that they're great and they should be in the hall in the end? Well, you they did were, say they,
0: they, they should. were also rands. Yeah. I agree that they should be in there, whether or not they should have been first ballot or not. I mean, that's, that can be argued, but I, you're not going to get an argument from me that says that they necessarily shouldn't be there. If you look at their statistics individually All right, let's be honest. One's not going in without the other, because we were introduced to the Sedins as a pair. They were always a pair. They function as one unit, and that's just the way it is. They got drafted together. They played on the same team. They played together. So it was a package deal. If one's going in, the other one's going in. So if you only get four male votes, well, there's two of them right there. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) statistically, they're not that different from each other. If you look at advanced statistics, um, there's some defensive deficiencies between one and the other, but from an offensive standpoint, and you look at the accolades that either one has got throughout their career, as far as goal scoring and leading the league and different things and winning awards and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They should be in there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You know, Daniel won an art Ross, Anna Lindsay, you know, Henrik won a Hart and an Art Ross. They both won Clancy's a couple mm-hmm. times, I think. One of them did. Henrik, maybe.
1: Uh, Henrik won the Clancy couple times, two so, times, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And here's so. a, here's
1: another eye-opening stat, though, as long as we're talking about Henrik for just a second here. 830 assists. Right. Daniel, you know, I mean, he had 393 goals. Okay, just short of 400 648 assists, okay, so that's over 600, 1041 points, but the way the two of them just played together was just, I mean, yeah, they're a package deal.
0: And you, you bring up the assist, the 830 assist. I think the only other player that's close to that that's still on the Hall of Fame eligibility list is Pierre Turgeon, and he's only got like 812. So, yeah, that's an accomplishment. I wonder how many of those, though, And I'm sure we can find the stat if We looked it up, but how many of those assists were to his brother?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, look at it this way though. If he has 830 assists and his brother has 393 goals. Now it's not likely that he assisted on all 393 goals, but still, if he assisted on 400 of his brother, just round up to 400, right? There's still 430 goals that he assisted on that were not scored by his brother. Yeah. 437 to be exact. It's easy to say, "Oh, yeah, well, sure, you got 70 assists in the season you played center for Brett Hall or whatever, right?" Okay, sure. "Oh, you played with Mario Lemieux and you got 80 assists cuz he got 80 goals and you just got the puck to him and he did the rest, right?" But when half of your assists are not for your premier line mate, but for other players, that's amazing. To just have that many, you well, know. I agree. I was always excited about the Sedin twins. I mean, I wasn't like super big fans of theirs, but I remember when they came into the league and how exciting it was that they were coming, finally coming to the NHL. Cause they've been, I remember them talking about them for a bit. They even had hockey cards in the late nineties, upper deck sets, which was like, okay, you're making cards of these guys who aren't in the NHL, but okay, cool. Great. You know, and they're like 17 years old.
0: They were the Alexei Lafreniere you know, they- of their time.
1: Yeah, kind of, but it was funny because, but they were also international players.
0: Upper Deck focused a lot on, including international players and World Cup and Canada Cup and all of those types of extra sets in those years. You got to get a lot of those prospects that you wouldn't normally have seen on a card until years later, if they got drafted and if they made it to the NHL.
1: Right, I mean, but think about just like, Everyone from Pavel Bure, Nikolai, Habibulin, Nicholas Lindstrom, Timu Solani, now I'm going to the early 90s, but these were all guys who were featured on international sets, just because that's just how I Deck did things. It's hit or miss, and we had that, is it a rookie card if he's not pictured in an NHL uniform, and why or why not, or whatever, that was an old episode,
0: I'll link to it in the notes. You know, the other thing that works for me, too, is the three of these guys going in together since they were longtime teammates. Um, having Luongo and both Sardines together. So maybe that one artifact card I have that's got all three patches on it, maybe that'll be worth something, too. Nice. Who knows? But yeah, the fact that they're all going in together as part of that group, teammates. I don't want to say line mates because one's a goalie, but it's kind of like when Solani and Korea got elected together.
1: That was awesome.
0: Yeah. All right, go um, ahead. Next one.
1: Well, Daniel Alfredson.
0: Alfredson, yes.
1: So Alfredson, just want to read some stats really quick. Regular season, 1,246 games, 444 goals, 713 assists for 1,157 points. He won the Calder Trophy in 96. He won the Clancy in 2012. And he won the Marc Messier NHL Leadership Award in 2013.
0: Isn't that your Uh, favorite award?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like... Remember when Homer Simpson bowled the perfect game and then he was just, like, always bragging about it and stuff? Like, do you remember that episode of The Simpsons yeah. or no? Yep. And wasn't it wasn't like he would, like, pop in on, like, talk shows and stuff like that. And, like, he was, like, novel for, like, the first five minutes. And then after that, like, nobody cared.
0: Yeah, because everybody was sick of it because he kept shoving it down everybody's throat.
1: That's kind of how I feel about the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Yeah. It's like, you know, okay, Mark Bessie, we get it. You were a captain of three NHL teams and you won five Stanley Cups and other people have said what a great leader you are. But now you're telling us what a great leader you are and you're going to tell us who you think a great leader is, you know, like, oh, great. You're giving this award to Jonathan Taves. Yes, we all know that he's a great leader. He's been the captain of the Blackhawks for, you know, 12 seasons or whatever. You you know what I mean? It it just kind of wore out its welcome, I think. I mean, an award's an award, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And if Mark Messier had a positive opinion of me, I'd be flattered as hell. But at the same time, could you see Gretzky giving out an award called the Wayne Gretzky Award? His face would be beat red with embarrassment about oh, the yeah. thought of that. Yep, and absolutely. I know hockey players are sometimes a little too humble, but... Ugh.
0: I also don't know that Messier enjoys the fact that his name's on it. I think he would give out the award every year. I don't think he'd be opposed to changing the name of it, though. Okay. That's it could fair. still be a Messier award. I don't know. I don't take him as that, but I don't know the guy personally. So maybe he is. Maybe he's full of himself. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I, I like uh, the I, one the
0: broadcast with Chelios, though.
1: I was going to say that. Yeah, I was actually about to say that. I like Messier and Chelios. I think they have a good rapport. They're different enough players, but they're both, like, legends. So right. there's not, like, that picking on. Like, they all pick on Paul Bissonette on the TNT stuff, which is kind of funny, but it also gets a little tiring. But – then again, Bissonnette gets a little tiring too, but I like Biz.
0: It's also a different dynamic. Yes, and they they do that for a reason. So the ESPN dynamic with the guys is definitely not the same as the TNT group.
1: Well, the TNT is much more fun broadcast to watch.
0: Absolutely, because like we said, when this whole thing went down and they you know sold the rights to ESPN, and TNT, and all of that kind of stuff, when we talked about it, you know my one thing always was I hope they make an NBA live show for NHL and that's pretty much exactly what they did cookie cutter
1: Mm -hmm. so no and it and it works but I like the stories that Messier and Chelios talk about they consider each other friends and they seem to have a friendly rapport and they also got good stories and they're both legends you know what I mean so they both have some pretty interesting stories to tell
0: anything better would have been if they brought back drunk Brett Hall to to be with Charlie us like they did for the World Cup.
1: Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Drunk Red Hall.
0: But anyway, we're talking about Alfredson here. So
1: Yes. Elfie, Daniel Alfredson. You know, true story. One day <clears throat> I'm teaching my class, my web design class, and I brought a hockey water bottle to drink out of. You know, just because I want to drink water in class and I think whatever water bottle I would have normally brought, I was like dirty or whatever. So I grabbed my hockey water bottle and I filled it, you know, in the drinking fountain and I came to class and I set it on my desk and it has like a little silhouette of a hockey goalie. And this one student who sat in the front and he came up to me and he's like, are you a hockey fan? I'm like, yes, I am. And he goes, oh, well, I got something to tell you. He said, when I grew up, I was neighbors with Daniel Alfredson. And I go, Really? And he's like, yeah, I was his caddy. He'd go golfing and I was always his caddy. So we just kind of talked about Alfredson and hockey a little bit. And, you know, it's just kind of like a fun story, like that six degrees of separation, right? So I'm two degrees away from Daniel Alfredson. I know his neighbor slash golf caddy when he's in Sweden in the summertime.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, he grew up like in Ottawa or he grew up in Sweden. Sweden. Because, I mean, obviously, Alfredson grew up in Sweden. I was wondering about the guy in your class.
1: He's also from Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have international students. I have students from all over the place at my school. You know, Chicago being a big cosmopolitan city with lots of different schools and universities and colleges. We get people from all over the world. Where is he
0: from? Gothenburg?
1: Yeah, good memory. Good memory.
0: Yeah, Alfredson. Alfredson's an interesting pick. Why do you say that
1: though? Because he has. Because he's been eligible
0: for so long, and they've ignored him. Yeah, well. And there's been a huge push over the last couple years to get Alfie in the hall, and I don't necessarily disagree with it because, again, if we're going back to those arbitrary statistics of the four hundred, the four hundred, the seven hundred, the thousand, he's got eleven hundred points, eleven fifty-seven. He's got seven hundred. 13 assists. He's got 444 goals. So he checks off all those boxes. Mm -hmm. Plus he played in 1,200 games. I mean, he covers the gambit. He's got an Olympic gold. Doesn't have a cup. But again, do you have to have a cup? Because a cup is a team award, right? It's not an individual award. It certainly helps to say you were on a championship team, and hopefully you contributed. So then that, too, contributes to your own statistics to put you into the hall. But again, Stanley Cup isn't the be-all end-all, as obvious by this class. But Alfredson, Alfredson's one of those guys that it's like, should he be in the hall? Yeah, he probably should be in the hall. Are there people that are better than him that should be in the hall ahead of him? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But does he deserve to be in the hall? Yes, absolutely. I didn't necessarily think they were going to pick Alfredson this year. I thought maybe he was going to have to wait another year. And I can tell you why in a minute, because that's going to lead to what I wanted to talk about after. Mm -hmm. But just for now, I'm just going to say, I thought he would get in. I just didn't think it was going to be this time around. Mm -hmm. I thought it might have taken another year or so. That's just me. That's why that one was a surprise. Not that he doesn't deserve to be in there, because you can make Mm -hmm. the argument, and it's a good argument. I thought they were going to take a couple other guys beforehand. Well,
1: I'm just looking at people who've been inducted. He would have been eligible, first eligible in 2017. Right. So, you know, Paul Correa and Timu Solani, of course, they should get in right away. Uh, Mark Recky, yeah, definitely. That guy's played so long and he put up some great stats. Dave well, and back- Anderchuk, I'm a little iffy on. Like, would I have taken David Anderchuk before Daniel Alfredson? Well, they did, you know.
0: Yeah, Anderchuk, Reckie, they deserve to be in there and they're in there. But- yeah,
1: Martin St. Louis. Guy carbono sure. I'm still not sold on Guy carbono but, I mean, he's a great player, but, I
0: mean... But here, okay, I mean, if we're going to talk about this right now, how do you take Alfredson and not Rob Brindemore? Rob Brindemore yeah, edges him out with goals, mm-hmm. he edges him out with assists and total points, and he edges him out with games played, so his longevity was longer. Plus, and... he has the cup, yep. and he has a world championship. Yep. So, yeah, as an Olympic gold pretty good yeah of course it is but is he better than brindamore if anything i would say they're on par because their stats are very similar and the fact that one of them went in meaning alfredson this year you can't not take rod the bod and put him in the hall you can't right at this right, point right you can't. because if you do it, then none of this makes any sense And to that same thing, I would also make the argument for Vinny Danfoos. He's got almost very similar stats as well. He's got 1,200 points, 432 assists, 773 773 assists, 432. And Mm -hmm. he's got 1,300 games played. So here's three guys that have very, very similar stats. And now that Alfredson's in, those two. Probably should be in there, and Dan Foose again has something that Dan Alfredson doesn't have, and that's a that's a cup. Doesn't have the yeah. international stuff. So again, cup is a team thing. Technically, an Olympic gold is a team thing. But well,
1: okay, but hold on, international stuff really shouldn't apply to old school NHL players because they weren't eligible for the Olympics, and if you were on a good enough team, you didn't play in the World Championships.
0: Okay, so then that would give an edge to any European-born players that were younger at that time where they weren't yet in the NHL then,
1: if they had a Hall of
0: Fame career going forward, assuming that 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 was...
1: Well, I mean, if you want to count that, right? I mean, if you look at Timu Solani, I mean, he played in, like, what, five Olympics, but if you took away all his international stuff and just based it on his NHL career, you'd be like, he's awesome. Like, he should be in the Hall. Well... Do we agree that Timo Solani could be in the Hall of Fame just based on his NHL career alone? I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I thought it was a rhetorical question, but yeah, I, I mean, that's not. That's, like, not really even a, a question. Okay, but, okay. Now, Vaklav Nedimansky, is he in the Hall of Fame based on his NHL career?
0: No. No. Of course not.
1: No. But if you look at what he also did in DWHA, and then you also look at what he did internationally, yeah. Then you go, yeah, this guy was awesome deserves to be in the hall of fame because you're looking at that whole body of work right so and that's for some that's why players, we
0: preference this by saying that in the beginning is you have to look at that whole body of work if there is one to look at
1: right because for some players it's just based on their nhl body of work because that's what they did gretzky's in because of his nhl accolades you know cammy granado is in because of her international accolades right I don't know, say apples and oranges, but the criteria is kind of nebulous. And like you said, you have one guy with 700 assists who gets in. You have another guy with 700 assists who doesn't get in. So there's no like, well, you scored 400 goals. You're going to the Hall of Fame because it doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah. Since we're already talking about it, I'll bring it up right now. The fact that Alexander Mogilny is still not in is stupid to me. And precisely for the, one of those reasons. I mean, the guy has an Olympic gold medal. He has a world championship. He's got a Stanley Cup. And he was Alex Ovechkin before Alex Ovechkin existed. Mm -hmm. And he's been snubbed multiple years. I'm not really sure why. Although this year I can think of a reason why. But no no other year before this could I really think of a reason why. You know, statistically, if you look at... What he's done, I mean, he had less games played. That's really the only thing that that works against him because he has over a 1,000 points. Mm -hmm. The guy scored 473 goals in his career, and he had over 500 assists. So if the 700 assist thing is the threshold, then maybe that's the one thing keeping him off of that final list. Now, of course, everybody's boycotting everything about Russia right now. Mm -hmm. So maybe this was a PR thing to not put him on the ballot. But I don't see how McGilney still left off, to be honest. I him.
1: think the thing is, is that McGilney, looking at his stats, he had a couple of awesome years. He had a couple of really good years. And then he had a lot of down years because of injuries. You know what I mean?
0: Injuries, he did get the injury bug quite a few times. And, you know, I get it. But, man, I don't know I if mean, you remember watching that guy play. But he was fast. undressed every defenseman that came up against him just completely made him look like fools. And, you know, all of the things that we see Ovi do or did for like the first, and well, I mean, he keeps doing it, but especially the first, you know, five, 10 years of his career, just going out there and just making a mess of everyone. That's what Mo Gilney was seeing that guy on ice was crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I saw him enough watching Penguin games and then playing against Buffalo. I mean, can you make a case for a lot of people? Absolutely. You know, again, if we're going to these arbitrary things and you have to check off these boxes, that puts Thomas Vanek on the list. Most people probably wouldn't even think of that. Uh, but he'd be on the list. Henrik Zetterberg, he'd be on the list for sure. You've got, you know, obviously Brenda Moore and Dan Foos, I've already brought up. What about Alex Kovalev? He has over 1,000 points in his career, over 400 goals, almost 600 assists, and he played in like 1,300 games. Plus, he's got the international credentials. And I know your favorite, Jeremy Roenick, still not in the Hall.
1: Thank you. I was wondering if you were just being difficult on no, purpose.
0: No, I'm throwing it out there. People like Roenick and Bernie Nichols and Pierre Turgeon, all three of those guys, if we're taking in certain people and we're putting them in the Hall, these are guys that have to be considered. They have to.
1: Well, OK, but Ronick again, not to base this all purely on stats, but 513 goals. Like I said, 400 goals is a conversation. 500 goals should be pretty much a foregone conclusion. You think? He has 703 assists. To me, 600 assists, you have a conversation. 700 assists, you go, OK, he should be in the hall. 500 goals and 700 assists for over 1,216 points total. Not quite a point a game player. But listen, Roenick was the guy that had his jaw broken, went and had them wire his mouth shut, put a full face mask on him, and he went out and he finished the game, okay? That was Jeremy Roenick. One of my earliest memories of Roenick is when he got his teeth knocked out and he skated over to the referee and he stuck his tongue out and his teeth that got knocked out were on his tongue, right? And he had a bloody mouth and he skated off to the bench to go get the bleeding to stop. And so the ref saw the blood, saw that the teeth had gotten knocked out, gave a four minute penalty to the other team. I can't remember if Roderick scored on that power play, but he definitely scored in that game. So that's the thing is that that's the kind of player he was. And then we're not even even looking at how awesome he was in NHL 94. I mean, there could be a whole separate wing. He gets his
0: own wing in the Hall of Fame just for that game alone.
1: (laughs) There could be a wing of, like, video game hockey players, and he would be in the first class because of – how great he was in nhl 94 but i think you know why he's not in the hall of fame
0: i mean it's another case of bias for certain well, things
1: well for the same reason that doug wilson was not in the hockey hall of fame for a long time wilson used to be the player rep for the blackhawks and he was also at it for a time he was the president of the players association he was a player rep For his team, you know, for the Blackhawks, so he was at odds with the NHL and with the Blackhawks because the NHL pretty much colluded with the Players Association and also with Bill Wirtz of the Blackhawks. So between Ziegler. Eagleson and Wirtz, they pretty much kept the player salaries low and kept the free agency rules horrible and basically kept a very tight control on players in their careers. And Wilson was one of these players who stood up, you know, he stood up to management, right? They don't like those guys. You know what I mean? They don't like those guys. Ronick was also that type of guy. And um, Roenick wouldn't sign with the Blackhawks for what they were offering him in 96. He was a restricted free agent. So he wanted more money, he held out, and they ended up trading him to the Phoenix Coyotes, which was a horrible trade. That was the end of my childhood right there. I mean, I was 21, but still. That was like the end of my childhood, is when Ronick got traded. When the team said, you know, you're a great player, and you score a lot of goals, and you're entertaining, and people like to watch you, and fans love you, but we're going to trade you because— You want to get paid what other players as good as you are also getting paid. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to pay you like Sergei Fedorov money. So that was the thing. He stood up for himself. He was outspoken. He'd say stuff that rubbed people the wrong way. He wasn't one of these pucks in deep, give 110% types. I mean, you should read his books. They're funny. I'll just say that. So that's the thing is is when you get guys who are rabble-rousers like Wilson or like Roenick, if and when they get in, they're going to wait.
0: Yeah, and whether you agree with that or not, I mean, it is what it is. Because, again, we don't know the rules. We don't know what they're thinking. And we don't know the discussion that goes on behind the scenes. So, you know, if somebody comes in and says, I nominate Jeremy Roenick, does the other 17 of them go, get out? I don't know. We don't
1: know. No, but we're also seeing a younger group. And I kind of say that, maybe not tongue-in-cheek so much, but, like, I remember seeing Lanny McDonald play. His... Last season in the NHL was the first season that I watched hockey. But when I was watching that press conference, I saw Mike Gartner. I remember watching Mike Gartner play for quite a while. So I go, oh, okay. A guy that I remember playing is on the Hall of Fame committee. This is cool. These aren't guys from like 100 years ago making the decisions. I mean, Lanny's old, but he's... Not 100
0: years ago, but maybe 50.
1: No, but the thing is, is that Lanny played post-expansion. And Gardner played in the 80s and the 90s, you know? So, I mean, like, as younger former players get into that Hall of Fame committee, they're going to be like, yeah, Ronick should be in. Brendamore should be in. Because they would remember playing against these guys. And be like, yeah, these guys are awesome. They should be in, you know? When you have these dinosaurs who are all obsessed about truculence or whatever... They're going to look and go, I don't like that Ronick kid. He was mouthy. He'll never be in my Hall of Fame. But as those guys die or retire, and then you get a younger group become in charge of the Hall of Fame, they're going to be like, yeah, Ronick, he was awesome. I played with him. I played against him. He should be in the Hall. Why isn't he in the Hall? And Curtis Joseph, he was awesome too. He should be in the Hall. You know what I mean? You get It's that perspective.
0: It's funny you bring up truculence because we know Brian Burke has a vote. And Brian the thing Bruce. is... Berkey drafted the Sadines, but you only get one nomination. So I wonder which one he nominated because, you know, he he picked one of them.
1: We'll never tell.
0: Yeah, I know. We'll never know. Which one was it? Was it Daniel or was it Henrik? You know, that's like choosing your favorite child. Secretly, you will, but you'll never tell in public. So.
1: Well, I don't have children, so I don't have to worry about playing favorites or choosing a favorite
0: you have one, trust me. You just don't
1: voice who it is.
0: And maybe it changes on a daily basis. You never know.
1: Oh, you're talking about you have a favorite one when yes, you're Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I thought you were yes. telling me I had a child. I'm like, no, 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 no. What?
0: No. So going back to these people in there. So this uh, Rika Salinin. Mm-hmm. That one, to me, came out of left field. Because based off of things that I was looking at and seeing who was eligible... And looking at mm-hmm. the lists, um, from the female standpoint, Carolyn let. there's no reason why she shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Agreed. She's arguably one of the top, if not top five, top ten best female players of all time. Easily. She has 68 points in international play. 68. Plus she's got six world titles. And I, I don't know.
1: Has she officially retired, though?
0: I thought she did.
1: Okay. I mean, that could, that could be it, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I thought she did. I think I'm pretty sure she's eligible. Uh, in fact, I think this was her first year of eligibility was this mm. year. Mm. Uh, Cause her and Selena were both, this was their first year of eligibility.
1: Interesting.
0: I'm not saying one's better than the other necessarily, but I think from a statistical standpoint, if you're looking at the body of work through international play, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, women's world championships and, being voted MVP of your team versus of the tournament winning the you know directorate awards which they give out for for those tournaments. Yeah, she doesn't have any of those and I guess Selena serve because she has one. Right, but uh, I don't know. And that's the other thing too. One of the other things that we do know, four male, two female, two builder. Why didn't they take them both? You can take two females. They haven't done that since the first year they elected females
1: yeah angela that's, james and cammy granado yeah that's the only that. year
0: they've taken two and yet that's in their rules that they can take two so if you can take two why not take two especially if they're eligible and they're worthy of it that to me doesn't make any sense if you have a pick use it i mean i don't think they've ever not taken four male picks except on special circumstances yeah aggressive. since they, yeah, yeah, they ninety nine yeah right since they made those as a as a thing I mean you can take two builders you can take two females you can take four males why not every year have eight people brought in unless you really can't find one that's eligible and you can't possibly tell me that there's not some builders and stuff on the list every year that have hall of fame worthy careers of course i don't know what the rules are to be a builder Yeah, they're taking in Herb Carnegie as a in the builder category. Mm -hmm. I know why. Obviously, we we all know why. But it's a builder category, so you're talking about the structure of hockey in general and the contributions that you made to hockey Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus necessarily your own statistics. I guess because it's a builder kick, so it could be coaches, it could be linesmen, it could be team owners, it could be managers, it could be Pretty much anybody, right? It doesn't have to be a player. And, yeah, he was a player, just not an NHL player because he wasn't right. allowed to. Be. So right. So it's thrown to the builder category, which does he have a Hall of Fame career as a player? I don't know. I don't know enough about him. So I couldn't really Well, make no,
1: because that- it would have been senior hockey. So it would have been, I mean, it wasn't the top level.
0: Okay. So it's not the top level, different competition, that kind of thing. I mean, if he's the Wayne Gretzky of whatever that league that was, okay, sure. Then maybe based off of that competition. But well, I no, think,
1: because for that reason, I mean, you have really good AHL players who are in the AHL Hall of Fame, but they're not in the NHL Hall of Fame. So there does seem to be that kind of
0: – I said NHL
1: Hall of Fame. Yeah, because you know I mean, there is the an Hockey NHL Hall of Fame. Hall of but, Fame. but it kind I of think is. They should it kind of was for the longest time, though.
0: I mean, it was, but the fact that they're calling it a Hockey Hall of Fame instead of the NHL Hall of Fame, I think AHL players, I think career AHLers that are top of their game that just never can make the NHL, doesn't make them any less of a player. I mean, when you have the 700 best hockey players in the world in this league and you're number 701, does that make you any less than number 700? I guess it makes you one less just by the statistics, but... You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, so, like a 90% pay cut, but yeah.
0: <clears throat> well, that's totally different.
1: Well, I think now the league minimum is 750,000 or 800,000, so I'd rather make 750,000 as the worst NHL player than 75,000 as the best AHL player. So,
0: I guess this would be my hot take on that. Would be I think if we're going to have a builder category of people that contribute to the sport of hockey rather than just the NHL. And if we have a category that we're bringing women in, which obviously there aren't women in the NHL other than executive positions now, but there aren't players, all of their background of work is based off of international play up to this point. And maybe going forward, we'll start seeing alumni from the PHF or alumni from the other women's hockey league once that gets started up. But as of right now, it's mostly international play. So if we're gonna have all of these, and like you brought up earlier, Ned Emansky's in not because of his NHL career, but because of his international play. So right. you got all of these different things. Why not? You know, this guy's contributed to this team. He's been in the AHL forever. He's been an All Star a hundred times. He's been this, been that. Why not consider him? Why not throw him in the list? I
1: think. The reason is though, l- l- let me just, I- I'm kind of thinking out loud here. So this might go nowhere, or this might go somewhere. But if a player is exceptional in the NHL, they are one of the best players in the very best league. So that's understandable why they would be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, right? So far, that logic checks out because that's kind of what it is. Now, if a player is exceptional, on the international stage, that kind of runs parallel to the NHL. Like, it's not the it's not a parallel league. But I guess the thing is, is that, like, if you are an accomplished Olympic and international athlete, you're playing hockey at its highest level internationally versus playing hockey at its highest level in the NHL. If you're a builder, you've done something to expand or enhance – Hockey's reach, right? You've made hockey better, hence the name the builder. You Builder. You've built hockey to be bigger and better, reach more people. So I can understand those things. If you are the best player in the ECHL, you might have a cult following in Cincinnati or whatever, but you haven't done something to raise the overall. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, come on, help me out here. The like profile? Awesome. Yeah, raise like, its profile. Thank you. Perfect. Like, Amario Lemieux raised hockey's profile because of all of the things that he accomplished in the NHL. Haley Wickenheiser or Cami Granato raised hockey's profile internationally. Vladislav Tretiak raised hockey's profile internationally, right? And then your builders also raised hockey's profile, but not by playing, but by off-ice actions. So I could see that. But being a great player in the AHL, I feel that that has a very limited reach, and that's why I would disagree with you on that, like, a really good AHL player should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I think it's okay that there are separate halls of fame for, like, the Ontario Hall of Fame or the Illinois Hall of Fame or whatever, right? Like I get it because you want to honor those people because they raised the profile in that region or they made that mark in that region, but maybe not on that global level.
0: Okay then. Counterpoint. Uh oh. If we're going to use the raising, you know, raising the water level and the high tide mark and making hockey a higher profile than it was, what about a guy that basically put center focus for an entire country on his shoulders? And that's Mike Arruzzioni. No NHL career to speak of. He was decent internationally, but he scored arguably the biggest goal of all time in order to bring... Attention to the game of hockey that transcends decades and generations of players from that point forward. I mean, I why think, not put him in the hall as a I builder? If Mike Arruzioni
1: had continued in hockey in some capacity, maybe not necessarily as a player, but if he continued. He didn't you know, want
0: to, though. That's no, he thing. didn't
1: want to. That's the thing, though. I'm too young to remember the Miracle on Ice. I was old enough to have remembered hearing about it. But I never saw the game. And I wish I did, because I feel like that would have been like that. uh, That would have been the alternate timeline. Oh, you know, somebody called. My mom's called. You know, phone rings on like a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon or whatever. Somebody called to tell her something. And I was like, what's up, mom? And she's like, "Oh, oh, our hockey team just beat the Russian hockey team. And I said, oh, that's cool. And I remember watching the Olympics because I was like five and it was on TV and it had the cool theme song that I like to hum. And, and and so like, that would have been like that moment for me. If she said, oh, this is going to be on in an hour because they're showing it on tape delay and you're going to watch this because this is important. That would have been that life-changing moment that I didn't get until I was 14, but that would have been at five.
0: So but I you got two I'd... things there, two things you're saying. You're two looking things. at it from the perspective of, of a kid, Yep. right? And number two, you're looking at it from the perspective of uh, it was it was a hockey game. A hockey player scored a hockey goal against another hockey team. This transcended that well beyond that because it represented something bigger. I took American foreign policy classes when I was in college. I know okay. I'm a nerd. That was part of my major. That That's what I wanted to do. So I had American foreign policy classes and I will know not a joke. One of my courses, we spent the better part of a week and a half discussing the Miracle on Ice game because of its impact that it had on global relations in the Cold War. And there's correlations between a lot of things between that game. And, and the, the thing is, yeah, we're not talking about a gold medal game. We're talking about a game to get into the gold medal game. But what it represented was something beyond that, because we were in the midst of the Cold War between the, the Soviet Union in the United States, you know, you're talking about socialism and communism versus, you know, capitalism and freedom and America, yay, America. So, this represented something beyond that. Here's a guy that, if we're going to make the argument that they had to do something that transcended it and pushed it further, pfft, I mean, sure, he doesn't meet any of the other criteria, which I would say then puts him in the builder category. But that's just me. So, I mean, here's the thing. We're not on the voting committee. We don't pick who gets in. We don't nominate anybody. Neither of us have a vote or a say in any of this, but it's an interesting conversation to have. And it's one that a lot of people are having and, are, and, and will continue to have every year that they do this. People are going to ask, why wasn't this person in? And Why did this person get in? And what qualifies this person? And it's just this interesting conversation that, that's had. And I agree with you that those categories are for certain things and I'm kind of being a I'm being a brat when I say well why not take the best AHL players cuz I, I get it I mean I understand the best a- a- AHL players are kind of the worst NHL players but again if we got an AHLer that can't make it out of the AHL but excels above and beyond when it comes to international play and like gets brought and put on you know international teams or you know, a guy that's played in the KHL his whole career that's amazing or, you know, like a, a Tretiak type player or like a Valery Karlamov type player.
1: OK, OK, but hold on right there. Karlamov and Tretyak both also excelled in international competitions. They did. So that's going back to that raising hockey's profile on a global stage.
0: Okay, so Mike Ruzioni, he's in.
1: <laughs> one game. And I'm trying not to disrespect that one game, hey, that one goal.
0: But look, he was a proficient scorer. He scored 20 plus goals every season he played. Of course, that was in college, but hey, you know, what are you going to do? I'm being the Devils advocate here. Mm-hmm. But you can see how this is very this is a very subjective thing. I think when it comes to those types of things, if we're not boiling it down to strictly NHL stats and we're looking at the full body of work and we're looking at a player's overall career, once you get past a certain point and you know, you're not going to be taken in as a player, then what do you have a chance of being taken in as a builder later on because you were skipped as a player?
1: Yes, but you have to,
0: you're going to have to do something, right?
1: You got to do something, right?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. So if I'm not going to get put in as a, like, for instance, for if they don't take Rod Brindamore in, okay, fine. You're not going to take him in as a player. Will you take him in as a builder since he was a coach?
1: Mm, you got to be like a Scotty Bowman or an Al Arbor or, you know what I mean? You got to be like that kind of level of a coach. Maybe. Okay. Oh. So Al Arbor, he played in the NHL. He had a respectable NHL career, wanted a few guys to play in the NHL wearing glasses, which makes him even more awesome. But he got in the in the Hall of Fame as a builder because of his work as a coach. Right. So, I mean, that's the thing, like you're going to have players who become coaches and GMs and executives and they get in that way. And that's fine, because a lot of times if you're a coach or a GM or whatever, you played hockey at some level. Maybe not the NHL level, but you've played hockey at some decent competitive level. It's understandable that you'd have a guy who's like maybe an OK NHL player, but then he kills it as an executive or as a coach and he's awesome and he gets into the Hall of Fame that way. That's fine, too. You know, that's also, like I said, raising hockey's profile.
0: Um, So let's say, hypothetically speaking, that the Minnesota Wild in the next year or two win a Stanley Cup. Does that put Bill Guerin in the Hall of Fame? For what? He's currently the GM.
1: Okay, let's say they win four Stanley Cups in ten years.
0: Oh, it's and be they four. have okay. a winning
1: yeah body of work.
0: Okay, body
1: well, of work, right? Look then at you look might... at
0: him on a player. He's a four hundred plus goal scorer. Right. Maybe doesn't have all of the points. He's only got like eight fifty six total career. But he played over twelve hundred games,
1: I and mean, you don't have to have a thousand points to be in the Hall of Fame.
0: It's got two cups. It's got a world World Cup title or a Canada Cup title.
1: right. what ninety six that would have been World Cup. Yeah, I think so. yeah, ninety six was the first World cup of hockey.
0: yeah. So I don't know. It's just one it's one of those things that I think about sometimes, like, huh, if you fall off the list of being eligible as a player, how can you redeem yourself and still get put in, but maybe not because of your playing career?
1: Well, I guess that,
0: that would have to be it. You would have to be some kind of guru of a coach or guru of a GM, build some kind of dynasty type team like Steve Iserman, for instance. I could see Steve Eiserman going in as a builder as well as being a player but because
1: he's already fact, in. So there's Yeah, no he's need already
0: to... in, but you could you could elect him again. Just like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Guys get in on their solo career and on their group career.
1: Or if you're Dave Grohl, you get in twice for being in two really popular bands.
0: Or yeah, you join different bands and you're in on under different bands. Right. So, you know, you have that kind of thing. So, I don't know. Anyway, that's that's a different thing to think about. These are all things that you can think about while Drinking lots of alcohol, or possibly taking hallucinogenic drugs.
1: I think most people who are tripping are not thinking about how they could get into hockey hall of fame, or how player X could get into hockey hall of fame if he only becomes a uh, if he only becomes a uh, a great coach later on in life.
0: Well, I am, damn it! I think every ex penguin should be in the hall of fame, <laughs> including Chris Kunitz. I'm just kidding. He won't be in the Hall of Fame. But he is eligible. He's Hall of Fame eligible. Yeah. So is Brooks Orpic. They'll let hmm. him
1: get in, but I'm just saying. My vote's for Dave Muckaluck. Dave Muckaluck. Because he just has a great name.
0: I don't know that he's eligible, though. Is no.
1: He? Well, he played in the 90s. So, you know, he, he retired a long time ago, but
0: uh. I don't think he played enough games.
1: No, but I remember him in the, in the the playing the playoffs for the Penguins. He was a black ace who actually got to play. That was yeah. before they did the whole black ace thing. The Penguins just brought him up and uh, were like, yeah, he played in the minors a long time and we need help. And they, they actually put him in some games, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, anything else before we wrap this one up? Because I'm about out of root beer. I've been nursing this bottle of A&W for the past hour, 30 minutes. and uh...
0: Other than I'm I'm not sure, the, the, the one female entry made as much sense to me. I, I think the other ones, they all work as far as the entries into the Hall of Fame.
1: Here's an interesting little tidbit I'll leave you with then. Herb Carnegie actually appeared in a Spider-Man comic book. A couple of years back, I did an article for the Hockey News. For those of you who do not know this, I write for the Hockey News. I have one small column called In the Cards, where each issue I highlight an interesting hockey card, an interesting or fun or weird or strange or cool or iconic hockey card. And You can usually find that in the front of the magazine, you know, first 10 pages or whatever. But then I have another article, called Puck Culture. And for Puck Culture, I wrote an article called five hockey Todd McFarlane crossovers because Todd McFarlane, who is probably best known as a comic book creator, but he also was known for spending a lot of money to buy those record breaking home run balls that Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire hit when they broke the home run records. So, you know, he spent a lot of money on those baseballs, and that kind of raised his profile, so to speak, because, you know, it's like, oh, this guy, oh, and he's a comic book creator. Oh, and he's also a minority owner of the Edmonton Oilers, and he also did that really cool Oilers logo that looked kind of like a gear with, like, an oil drop on it, if you remember that logo. Yep. Yeah. So there was a two-issue Spider-Man comic called Skating on Thin Ice which was a giveaway comic in Canada. It was about, it was like a same order Drugs, kind of like PSA comic book starring Spider-Man. And it was about these bad guys who were smuggling drugs inside of hockey pucks. And, you know, Spider-Man trying to track down this, this drug ring or whatever. I mean, one of the people that he meets, because, you know, there's like kids involved, like, you know, like kids are playing hockey or whatever. And he ends up meeting Herb Carnegie, who was teaching these kids how to play hockey in like the comic, right? It was just, so he was just, it just included in that story, like as just the hockey coach in just part of the story. So
0: that's kind of cool. When I heard about the class this afternoon, I had to, I'll be honest, I had to look up Herb Carnegie. I think I knew the name at one point, but it slipped my mind. Um And I was looking up, Cards to see if he even had any, and I have the like o five o six in the game heroes and prospects one that that he's on, but I was pleasantly surprised that he has a like a Laval dairy card from the nineteen fifties.
1: I've been trying to get that card forever. Like really? he's he's in that set, and so is Jean Beliveau.
0: Yeah, he's on the Quebec Aces on the card, and it's uh, and I think the following year another company made a set too that he's mm-hmm. also on but the fifty-one, fifty-two mm-hmm. one he's on and like found some people with him on ebay and they're up there
1: yeah which is yeah. why i never bought one but i yeah. mean just me being weird and wanting like look before herb carnegie was elected to the hockey hall of fame this year i mean i knew who he was i own his autobiography i'm a little bit ashamed to say that i never never finished reading it i've like Picked it up, started reading, and then for one reason or another, I just never finished it. You know, then I'd pick it up a couple years later and start rereading it and then just never finished it. So I'm probably about two-thirds of the way done or half of the way done. I can't remember. I remember finding it in a used bookstore in 1997, and I was just like, oh, this looks cool. Oh, I never heard of this guy. And then I started reading just the snippets on the back, and I'm going, oh. Well this guy would have been before Willie O'Ree. Wow, okay cool, but he didn't get to play. You know what and so I was intrigued. So Fly in a Pale of Milk is the title of his autobiography. So he's always somebody somebody that I was interested in. I wanted to own that Laval Dairy card and he even had an autographed card that he did for in the game. And at the time that he was signing the stickers to put on the cards, because I believe they were sticker autographs, or they might be on card autographs, but he was blind by the time he signed autographs. He was willing to do it, but they had to, like, just basically, like, put his hand and then they had to, like, put, like, maybe little stickers or paper or something and they just told him you know keep your hand within this and if you feel you know what i mean like so that he could kind of feel with his fingertips like okay i'm going too far to the edge or whatever because maybe he was signing a sticker don't quite remember the story the full story behind that but he was blind and he autographed cards for them and i've always wanted one of his autographed cards and you almost never see them on ebay but that's been a wish list card of mine for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. So when I, like I said, when I saw him being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame this year, I was pleasantly surprised because I knew the name. I was familiar with his career. Uh, Even though he never played in the NHL, he did a lot as a builder and, you know, he was successful in the Quebec Senior League. But yeah, that's an autograph I always wanted to have. And you know, unfortunately now that he's in the Hall of Fame, it's probably going to go up way past my pay grade. But still, if, it's awesome if you can even that.
0: find him. I mean, you couldn't find him before. I imagine you right. probably won't be able to find him now.
1: Right. Because
0: like I said, I had to look him up. I also had to look up Rika Salinen, too, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. couldn't find any cards existing of her. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure if there were any like local finish sets that were made of the female team or not. But I couldn't seem to find any that existed so
1: no the thing is is that all of those international women subsets that were done by classic and by upper deck in the 90s which would have been like she would have been around there
0: yeah because she was the oldest one to play she beat team mussolani's record
1: that's cool but uh, they only focused on canadian and American women in those card sets so I did look at that and I I couldn't find anything of hers either so
0: that's yeah I couldn't not even find the existence of it so if anybody's listening from Finland that knows if there's something that exists let us know
1: you can also correct him about his bad pronunciation of Finnish names
0: yeah well I'm not the grammatical orator that everyone Makes me out to be.
1: So next year, we'll have a Hall of Fame class of Alexander McGilney, Jeremy Roenick, Curtis Joseph, and uh, Carolyn Ouellette. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, we get four guys. Was that four? I think that was three.
1: That's fine. We'll just do three.
0: Oh, see? Use your picks.
1: Okay. Roenick, McGilney, Joseph. Okay. Okay. Richter. Richter? Screw it. Uh, Let's do two goalies in the same year. Ah!
0: That's yeah. never. That's never going to happen. Okay. Never going to get two goalies. I would agree with the other three though. Okay. You went off the rails with that last one.
1: Sorry, I'm running on fumes. I came here to talk hockey and drink root beer, and I'm all out of root beer.
0: Sounds like a good stopping point.
1: All right then. Well, let us know who you think should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame next year, or even this year, or in a year, sometimes in the future. Please give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at the real DFG. Until next time, collect what you like.
0: For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.